Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Monday, September 26th. This Friday marks the second National Day for Truth and Reconciliation. How should businesses approach the day and take action towards truth and reconciliation? We discuss with Michelle Lean of the Frog Lake First Nation Treaty 6 Territory. Could it be a breakthrough for the treatment of diabetes? Dr. Ted Jablonski joins us to discuss a new Canadian-based drug trial that could be a game-changer. His last concert was postponed due to the pandemic, but now one of the most amazing guitar players you'll ever see has a new date in our city. We catch up with multi-award-winning guitarist, composer, and producer Jesse Cook. And finally, it's another edition of Motivational Monday, a chance to get you motivated today and beyond. This time out, we meet author Ramit Sethi, who gives us his multifaceted definition of wealth and tells us about his new book, I Will Teach You to Be Rich. This Friday does mark the second National Day for Truth and Reconciliation. So how can companies mark this day and take action? We're joining Michelle Lean this morning to can, to continue the conversation about this. Communications Manager at the Piguan and... Uh, I'll give you the website is Pipiquan. Oh, I'm going to say it wrong, Michelle. Good morning to you. Thank you. Can you say it for me, please? Good morning. Yeah, I'm happy to help you out. It's Pipiquan, Pipiquan. Thank you very much. Appreciate you joining us this morning and talking about it. I mean, it's an important day, obviously. It now has become a, a national day that we mark, and we need to all talk about this, not just on Friday, but each and every day, right? So how do individuals and companies kind of make this reconciliation journey part of the daily work they do? Yeah, I think that's a great question. It's really important to manage expectations around truth and reconciliation. And so what that means um, and what we coach our clients on and then folks that we work with um, is reconciliation doesn't happen in a day. It's it's a a journey that's going to take a long time. Uh, It's taken us several generations to get to where we are, and it's going to take us several generations to undo what has been done. This is, you know, several generations, as you mentioned, being impact, Michelle. But yeah, new uh, as far as this recognize, uh, recognizing and observance of this day. So I think that it has to be a conscious, uh, conscious effort from these businesses, doesn't it, Michelle, on how to approach it, right? Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, you know, it, it's an important day. It gives us the opportunity um, as a, a collective to reflect on the history and where we are right now. But... Uh, to your point, it's really about what are we doing every day, the other 364 days a year, to create change. Um, reconciliation is all about um, action. It's based in action. And, you know, utilizing the, the 94 calls to action as a basis to understand maybe how your organization can play a role. Um, those, those 94 calls to actions that were developed by the National Truth uh, and Reconciliation Commission provide guidelines. They provide some, some guidance for uh, organizations in every sector of society on, on steps that they can take to further reconciliation. Michelle, your organization, Indigenous-owned, led, majority-staffed communications and engagement company, how do employees bring something up to a leadership team if they don't feel that the company is perhaps... Uh, taking enough action when it comes to truth and reconciliation? Uh, Well, I think you'd be kind of surprised at how um, outspoken employees can be in this day and age. And certainly um, external to a company, whether it's your customers, your stakeholders, your followers on social media, um, they're watching what organizations are doing and they're starting to hold organizations more accountable. And that's why it's important to go beyond the symbolic um, 
and really look at the substantive changes that the, the efforts that you're putting towards reconciliation in a, in a meaningful uh, action-based way. Well, I guess that's part of it. You know, when you say action-based, uh, but is there something to the subtlety of, of if it's there, if there's information, if there's conversations to be had all year, that it's something that's accessible to the employees? Again, not just that one day a year. How, how do you stretch that out effectively without being in the face or getting in the way of your work Monday to Friday? It, yeah, that's a good. Uh, that's a good question. I, I don't think um, you know every organization can do a little bit, and there's always learning opportunities that, as an employer, um, an employer, you can promote amongst your employees. So, a lot of employers have professional learning or professional development programs. It could be even messaging around that, encouraging employees to seek out um, educational opportunities. Uh, there's the U of A course that's offered to uh, to anybody and it's free and it's a very extensive course. It's called Indigenous Canada. So even something like that really doesn't require an employer to, um, you know, re- reinvent the wheel. There's resources that are out there that can be promoted. There's things like um, toolbox talks. You know, we, we work in Alberta and we have a lot of uh, labor-based industry. You know, could what the topic of one of those toolbox talks be about, um, be about this topic? Michelle, even, you know, kind of outside the, the business realm, how, how do we all, just as the general public, kind of understand a little more, find out a little more as we move towards Friday and the National Day for Truth and Reconciliation? Is there a place where, you know, we can go to get a little more information, get a little help in understanding and furthering the conversation? Yeah, we have some really great resources that we've promoted um, and that we we encourage um, just general people to look at. So like I mentioned, one of those is that Indigenous Canada course. That's really for someone that wants to jump in and really learn a lot. Um, But there are shorter um, and more accessible resources, you know, if you just kind of looking for things from day to day. Um, But the really important thing to remember is seeking out resources that center Indigenous voices and perspectives versus non-Indigenous voices and perspectives. It's really important as part of this truth process that um, Indigenous voices and, and survivor perspectives are centered. Interesting discussion. We appreciate your time. Uh, thank you very much uh, for joining us, Michelle. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's Michelle Lean, Communications Manager with Pipiguan, Guan, and uh, online at P-I-P-I-K-W-A-N-P-E-H-T-A-K-W-A-N.com. It's quite the handle, uh, but you know what? It's, uh, it's official. Mm-hmm. And uh, to her point, I like what she said. And, and to me, my perspective and my takeaway is not you know, on mass, just bombarding people with this info, but having it available, having it there. And again, 365 days a year, it can be overwhelming. And I think that, and I don't want to minimalize anything when it comes to truth and reconciliation, but I think when it's, when you don't know something, there's trepidation. And I would say the vast majority of us, myself included, don't know as much as I should. I don't have a grasp on it. So I, it it seems overwhelming. But to have those conversations and have it accessible when I need it, that's great. I would further that with that we're afraid to make a mistake and say something wrong as well when I think more important is that we ask questions and that we listen so that we can get it right. Because I don't think we should be afraid to say, listen, I I don't know as much as I I should. Where can I get the information? But you have to seek it out. It's our job to find out and understand. 
more about this issue and, and why, right? And and we know that Friday, uh, September 30th, it is National Day for Truth and Reconciliation right across the country. There will be, the government offices will be closed on Friday. You and I will be here Friday mm-hmm. morning. We will have, you know, some segments to talk about this to further the discussion. It's our job to facilitate so that we can learn more and help listeners learn more, right? So the day honoring children who didn't return home, survivors of residential schools, as well as their families and their communities, uh, pu- public commemoration of the tragic and painful history and ongoing impacts of residential schools is a vital component of the reconciliation process. So I think it'll be an important day, absolutely. And it's a day for you to learn just that much more and to open your ears yeah. and listen and, and, and not talk because we don't know. And there you have it, yeah. Could it be that a breakthrough treatment for diabetes is on the horizon and discovered right here in our nation? To discuss, we're joined by Dr. Ted Jablonski, our on-call family physician. A good morning. Happy Monday to you, Dr. J. Good morning. Not only a breakthrough, this is an oral uh, you know, form. It's a pill we're talking about, right? Yes, this is the holy grail of diabetic management. We've had insulin forever uh, and it's always been problematic for some patients the 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 need of a needle to stick myself to give myself insulin so this would be potentially a pill that you take and the insulin would get into the system in the same ways uh, an injection would why has it been so hard in the past to to get it into pill form dr j so interesting because apparently the the stomach or the gi system degrades anything given orally uh, and that's been the problem you just cannot get it into the system going through the the normal route now interesting how they've gotten by it in this particular uh i guess research is is actually isn't a swallowed pill so this is a pill that's going to be put in sort of under the tongue or along the gum line so it actually absorbs through the uh, mm. the tissue of the uh, uh, as opposed to being swallowed so that's how they're trying to get around the system so it gets actually not through the stomach system, but through directly into the blood system and into the liver. That system actually is not that unique. We have quite a number of pills that we will use, uh, like there are vitamin preparations now that you can put under your tongue to dissolve, anti-anxiety meds, a number of meds that we've um, utilized this kind of theory. And in the hormonal world now, we're actually starting to use this uh, technique to get something into the system without having to go through the GI system. All right, where are we, though, with it? Because I'm always fascinated when you, we, we we're on the horizon of something great. Is, yeah. is this close to market, or how long are we talking? Yeah, on a scale of 1 to 10, we're <laughs> probably sitting at a 2. <laughs> so this is in rat models, uh, and in rat models, it's working out really well. Um, that's a whole lot different in in, uh, in adult models or human models. Uh, so interesting, I was part of a research uh, study back some 20 years ago for an inhaled insulin, and it actually worked very well. The product actually came to market, uh, and it's now off the market. So instead of injecting, instead of a pill, literally it was an inhaler like an asthma inhaler, and it actually was very effective, but way too costly, had potential of some odd complications, came to market and was essentially withdrawn when it just didn't go anywhere at mm. all. So sorry to rain on the parade, but yeah. this could be a similar kind of thing where it sort of works, but there's something that uh, snags it in, in a human population. And from what you've seen, though, does it feel like this one might just actually be truly a breakthrough? Or do you feel like, oh, I don't know, it's tough when these things, these new things mm. come on board? 
I'm, I'm going to say, I don't know. Yeah. And I'm, it, the funny, the oddity is that we have a slew of new diabetic meds, usually for more of the type 2 diabetic, which are all injectable, and people are using them all the time without any issue whatsoever. So the notion of pill... Uh, like that we need a pill that people are all terrified of in needles, we've already broken through. Yeah. So all the new products are injectable products. So the notion that we need a pill form and insulin, hard to say. So it'll be interesting to watch and see. But um, I'm not so sure this is one's going to make it to market and go all the way and change the world. Still making strides. It will take it. Thanks for your mm. information this morning, Dr. J. Okay, you betcha. Dr. Ted Jablonski, our on-call family physician. is the guitar stylings of the one and only Jesse Cook. You might know that song. It's called Fall at Your Feet. I have seen him perform a couple of times. I've met him live when I was at another radio station that was launched um, many years ago as The Breeze in this city. We played a lot of Jesse Cook music, and that's where I kind of fell in love with him and had seen him perform after that. He is so incredibly talented, and uh, we're just trying to track him down now. We'll have him on the line in a couple of minutes, and we're going to have a pair of tickets to give away to his show this week at the Jube. Um, And I promise promise you, you will never see a more amazing guitar player than Jesse Cook when you see him live. He's just amazing. And he puts on, as much as he's a guitar player, he puts on a great stage show as well. He's always got amazing bandmates with him and just, yeah. it's awesome to watch. And it's so funny because that's where I got acquainted to, to not only uh, Jesse Cook, but this this sea jazz type music. We're listening to your former jazz station. Mm-hmm. So much great music and so much great talent. I'll let you bring them in. Okay, perfect. So internationally acclaimed guitarist Jesse Cook's Tempest 25 tour postponed thanks to COVID, but he is back with a vengeance. He will play at the Jube tomorrow night, Tuesday night here in Calgary. It's a pleasure to say good morning to you, Jesse Cook. Thanks so much for joining us. Good morning. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being with us. Uh, you know, you released some amazing new music before your world tour was canceled by the pandemic. I'm hoping you might have used some of that pandemic time off to make more great music for us. What did you do during those couple of years? Uh, well, the, the first year, I uh, I just enjoyed being with my family. I You know what? I'd been touring for 25 years. And, you know, the idea of just kind of staying home and watching my kids grow up was really exciting uh, to me. Uh, and then I, I think it was around Christmas of the first year that it began to dawn on me that, in fact, the whole thing was going to last longer than the two weeks I had anticipated. And uh, I thought, you know what? I, I'm going to need a hobby or I'm going to go crazy. So I started... Um, <laughs> I started uh, recording, you know, old songs and playing all the parts myself and videotaping it and editing it and posting it every Friday. And then I started making new songs and then I started doing collaborations with other people. It was actually really fun. We would do these premieres on YouTube every Friday and there'd be people from, you know, sort of China and hello from Greece and hello from Arizona. You know, it, it was a chance to kind of connect with people when that had kind of been taken away from us, you know, by the pandemic. So it was... Uh, yeah, I, I, uh, it was an interesting couple of years. I, I certainly, I, I enjoyed it. Uh, parts of it, obviously. I mean, mm. you know, of course, the, 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 the rest of it was pretty awful. But uh, the, you know, the sort of musical things that the sort of doors that opened up to me uh, during the pandemic were kind of exciting. It was kind of fun. 
Jesse, you know, you, you, you listen to, to music, you hear a voice, it's, you know, you know, you know the voice. Very few artists, I find, on an instrument, you can recognize instantly they're playing. And, and you're one of those guys for me. I love what you do. Uh, but I'm wondering how... Oh, is, thank you. You're, you're welcome. How does somebody get into flamenco? Because my daughter, she, she, for example, wants to play The Cure in Nirvana. She's taking guitar lessons. But so I think that I get the impression that every young Canadian kid or American kid wants to be a rock guitarist. How do you take the path that you took? Uh, you know what? I think um, eh, that, that's the million-dollar question because it really doesn't make any sense. I mean, can, growing up, I mostly grew up in Canada, and you know, people were into Rush and you know <laughs> stuff like that. And I, I was uh, I was born in France, and uh, the first few years of my life, we were in France, where we were in Barcelona for six months. Uh, I don't remember any of that. Apparently, I had a little toy guitar when I was two. I used to walk around the apartment singing Guantanamera, but I don't remember any of it. Um, I just by the time I got to Canada, um, we had these Manitas de Platas records that my mother had as part of the record collection, and and I just loved them. And I, you know, when I was playing the guitar, I would always try to sound like that. And then later in my life, um, my dad, who had continued to live in Europe, he retired to Arles in the south of France. Um, and happened to be neighbors with Nicholas Reyes, who was the lead singer of the Gypsy Kings. And he had moved kind of, uh, you know, by coincidence, he'd moved into the Gypsy Burial of Arles. And, and kids in the street there were playing guitar that way, that sort of rumba, you know, where you pound the face of the guitar like it's a percussion instrument. And, uh, you know, I at that point, I was... Uh, I'd had many, many years of guitar study, you know, and I was like kind of a serious guitar student and I show up in Harl and all these kids are playing guitar in this amazing way. And I, I was completely taken by it and, and started, you know, doing more and more of that. So, yeah, I don't, I, I don't know why I, you know, I certainly did. I had my days playing, you know, rock guitar and playing in bands with friends uh, in high school and stuff. But um, for me, my 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 heart was always that that flamenco guitar, that nylon string guitar. Well, hence that world music sound that you bring to the stage. Uh, you're playing tomorrow night at the Jube, September 27th. Thanks just for chatting with us, Even. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Jesse Cook, guitarist, music composer, jessecook.com. No more excuses. It's time to get your financial house in order. And uh, even during these uncertain times, there is a way. There is help. Who better to give us advice other than a New York Times bestselling author and personal finance expert, uh, Ramit Sethi. Good morning to you, Ramit. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being here. Uh, the books, you've got a line, I will teach you to be rich. Okay, that sounds great, Ramit. <laughs> But really, you can teach somebody to, to gain wealth and to, to gain the lifestyle that they're interested in? Yes, of course. I think too many of us think about money. It's all about restriction. I'm not coming in here wearing an ill-fitting suit and telling you you've got to cut back on lattes. <laughs> That's my nightmare. But yes, there is a way to live a rich life. Some of it involves money. Some of it ah. does not. But we all decide what rich means to ourselves. So is that how we begin then, is that we have to break down what wealth means to each one of us before we can figure out how we're going to actually try and achieve it? Well, when I ask people, what does rich mean to you? This is the answer I almost always get. They go, I want to do what I want, when I want. Mm. I go, okay, that sounds pretty good. So what do you want? And then they just stare because they've never actually thought about what rich means to them. What a tragedy. You know, we work our whole lives, we get our paycheck, we pay our bills, maybe we have a little left over. But most of us never really thought, what is my rich life in specific, vivid detail? 
sometimes when I probe them, they'll say, yeah, I want to travel more. I said, okay, I like that. Where? Uh, you know, Europe. Okay, where? What airline seat do you want to sit on? Who do you want to take with you? What do you want to see? What this journal helps them to do is to articulate this really personal, beautiful vision. I want to watch a sunset in Rome while being there with my wife or my partner, and I want to have my kids with us. That is a rich life, and that is what you can spend your money working towards. Having a dream, having a goal, desires, Ramit, and of course the journal, you put it down in paper, but it's fine to have these things on paper and in your mind. How do you turn the motivation and these thoughts into action? How do you make that next step and the next leap? Well, I don't really believe in using motivation for money. You know, I don't have to motivate you to brush your teeth every morning. You just do it. And money is actually easier than that because we can set up a system. We can automate our money. So, for example, if I want to take a trip to Rome, or I want to buy a beautiful coat, or I even want to have the flexibility in my career to pick up kids from school every afternoon, then I can take the lessons in I Will Teach You To Be Rich, and I can automate the money to make that happen without me having to spend more time on it. This is where things like a savings account, an investment account, and all of those come together. You take your vision of a rich life, and then you use your money to automatically start living it. Ramit, this is Motivational Monday, so I want to ask you, you know, when we have uh, people on who talk about these these different ways of, of achieving some sort of motivation, whether it be financial or otherwise, usually they have walked the walk in order to be able to talk the talk. So give us a little bit about your background that, you know, shows why you are the person here joining us this morning to talk about <laughs> how to get rich. Well, I, I grew up... Um uh, the son of immigrant parents and my dad went to work and my mom stayed home with us and they taught us a lot of lessons about money some of them intentional some of them we just picked up like most of us uh, ended up paying my way through college with scholarships and now have helped millions and millions of people um, start businesses negotiate their salary and of course invest and spend their money on the things they love that's why i'm here and you've got the book, I Will Teach You to Be Rich, and, of course, the journal itself. But, you know, it, it's interesting because uh, you've got that glimmer in your eye when you're young and you're ready to tackle the world. And then when you're older, you have, you know, more knowledge of who you are, more knowledge of the world. So with your book, is this for both age groups or is it, to, you, know, uh, you know, more so pointed toward a certain age group, the younger or the middle age or the older? I believe everybody needs the ability to dream. And when you're 20... It's beautiful. You know, you, you, 20 or 22, you're coming out of college, maybe, maybe not, and you go, what do I want my life to look like? Um, who do I want to spend it with? And your dreams in your 20s are, of course, different than your dreams in your 40s and 60s. But at each chapter of our life, we get the chance to really take stock and reinvent what we want to do for the next decade. So maybe early on, it's, you know, I want to buy cool clothes. I want to be able to go out four times a week. That's valid. I love that in your 20s. That's that season of life. Maybe in your 40s, you might want to spend more time with family uh, or, or raise your family, perhaps. Um, so there are lots of different ways to dream. And that's why I love about letting you dream. It's not me telling you what you should spend your money on. It's me helping you discover what you want to do with your money. You talked about lessons when you were a kid about money. So do you think, aside from the dreams that we all have, do we grow up with certain money beliefs that shape us 
as to how we will or whether we will make good money in our lives? Yes. It's not all dreams and ponies. It's also a very dark side to money, too. You know, many of us grow up with stories that we absorb from childhood. And if we all think about some of the phrases that our families used around money, probably some of these sound familiar. We can't afford it. We don't talk about money in this family. Money changes people. Money doesn't grow on trees. (laughs) And after you hear that for a long time, you start to absorb it. Now, those aren't facts. Those are just stories. So I often speak to people on my podcast who have accumulated a lot of wealth, and yet they are still worried. They still think if I just had $5,000 more or $50,000 more, I would stop worrying. No. The, um, the way you feel about money is highly uncorrelated with how much you've got in the bank. So it's very important to trace back our beliefs, our attitudes, and our behaviors with money to how we grew up with it. It really affects us. Great points and a great conversation. Thanks for your time, uh, Ramit. We appreciate it. Thank you very much. That is Ramit Sethi, finance expert and author. I'm going to direct you to the website, IWillTeachYouToBeRich.com. And, of course, he is the author of I Will Teach You To Be Rich. No more excuses. Get your financial house in order. No more excuses. Are you talking to me? Yes, in general. I do like the fact that he draws the parallel that it's not just money, but, you know, what you consider the wealth. 100%. What you're looking for. You can be rich in so many different ways, right? I mean, yes, sure, we'd all love to be rich in money, but rich... The richness comes in many other forms. I'm going to write a book that's going to say how to be rich. I'll teach you how. And then it'll direct you to the nearest kiosk to buy your Lotto Max ticket, (laughs) which, by the way, we can delve into this a little later in the program because there might be some money on the table for you. That's kind of a different side branch story. But if you're a dork like me and forgot to buy your ticket again, it's okay. You're good. It's now, by the way, coming up tomorrow night. $103 $103 million. Oh. There's your Get Rich Sue. I'm ready Don't for have it. i to read a book for that one. <laughs> I'm ready for it. Yeah, you, that's your book. You just wrote it. Yeah, Thanks it for that.